Welcome to Cumberland Lodge. My name is Jan Bock, I'm the Programme Director and we're here on the final day of our conference on digital inclusion, bridging divides on the 15th of November 2019. We've just come out of a wide-ranging session on digital social innovation, looking at how digital technologies are evolving and what the impacts might be on our future lives. I'm joined by our two guest speakers from that session, the psychologist and author Dr. Elaine Casket, author of All the Ghosts in the Machine, Illusions of Immortality in the Digital Age, and Manish Yuneya, who describes himself as a digital health futurist, exploring the convergence of emerging technologies and how they can make the world a healthier and happier place. Welcome to both of you. Could I start by asking you to briefly introduce yourselves and your roles in a sentence or two? Manish. Uh, so, uh, essentially, I'm looking at all these different technologies, how they're coming together, and also the, uh, how they're mixing with social and cultural and political trends, uh, and potentially impacting on our health both individually and as a society. And Elaine? I'm a psychologist, but in my spare time, I write and speak about how looking at the digital afterlife of our personal data can give us a lens through which we can better understand things like privacy and data ownership and the power of big technology companies in our data lives. Thank you. Um, following on from that, what do you believe our future relationship to digital technology will look like in, say, 50 or 100 years' time? Uh, Manish, maybe you want to go first. So if I had to predict and imagine 50 or 100 years in the future here in the UK and our relationship with technology, I think uh, by that point in time, a lot of us may have implants and microchips embedded for tracking and maybe for upgrading some of our body's capabilities or our senses or even reliving certain memories or enhancing our cognitive functions. And additionally, some uh, by that point, it may even be that if we do, uh, um, if, if we won't actually die in the sense that uh, then uh, once we die, our thoughts, our experiences have been uploaded from our brain into the cloud or whatever it is in the 50 years time. And that there's a robot uh, which operates and lives as us and behaves as us and is around for our loved ones to help them with, with grief. Elaine, would you agree? What is our future relationship with digital technology going to look like? I think there's a high possibility of that kind of cyborg future that Manish was outlining. My hope, um, whether that is the case or not, um, is that that advancement has been accompanied by advancements in our ethical understanding and our ethical sensibilities and in advancement of our rights. Um, for example, privacy is currently a right as enshrined by the United Nations, but things around data privacy, data ownership, having clear understandings of our technological landscape and having developed uh, an ethical awareness that is appropriate to that context. Because right now we're in a difficult period whereby a lot of our ethical and legal understandings are from a pre-digital era and we're finding a bad or an un uneasy fit with the digital milieu that we inhabit. We're seeing a lot of problems as a result of that. And so I hope that whatever happens in terms of technological advancements is accompanied by appropriate advancements in other areas, or we will lose touch with other humanity and the compassion and uh, uh, that is, is so important. 
am I able to quickly add and in terms of my response and say that actually um, I think um, things like trust and our relationships with machines will change in terms of uh, could gener uh, generations growing up in the future actually trust machines more than any other human being and in what scenarios could it be that you trust a, uh, a, 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 a an algorithm that's operating in healthcare more that you trust a human working in healthcare because you want to share symptoms about mental health or sexual health so that's what I'm looking at in terms of um, uh, our relationship with machines and, and right now we may fear them but it may be that for some of us we really do start to trust them more than humans and what that means for how society runs then and I think that one of the reasons that we're having difficulty with trust at the moment, it's not so much about the machines themselves, but who owns and controls those machines and to what purposes and profitable sort of things that those machines are being put. So because a lot of the algorithms that are being created are owned and controlled by these powerful big, big technology companies who have profit as their primary concern rather than the social good, Again, what my hope or, uh, you know, for the fantasy for this future would be was that, you know, these machines are in service uh, of different things other than the bottom line and are controlled more democratically and not centralized in the hands of a few powerful operators. And Manish, you have a background in industry. You used to work for GlaxoSmithKline. What do you think corporations or industry especially can do in order to use digital technologies for this end of creating more inclusive, a more coherent society, a cohesive society? So um, one of the things that I've been reminded of uh, during today's session is uh, the fact that I was very much focused on digital by default because I'm relatively young and I've got all these technologies and I'm happy using them. But actually, I got reminded uh, at Cumberland Lodge about um, the importance of uh, inclus being inclusive by default. So corporations need to think about designing for everyone, but they also need to think about designing with everyone. So it's not just, oh, we're going to design with a focus group of five people, but actually uh, get a wide range of voices. But additionally, um, I think it's um, for corporations, it's also about in this era of smarter machines and how and how our relationships are changing with machines and how society is changing, how do we ensure that uh, how do, how can a corporation ensure they stay relevant to their customers by uh, providing products and services that are actually going to make society a more cohesive place to live that um, are going to hopefully um, make a positive impact on reducing inequalities within society and that actually yes these corporations want to they have shareholders usually to answer to and, and value to provide that way but actually be thinking about responsible innovation when they're developing these products and they're bringing them to the market. And what I would I think I think what I'd add to that because obviously I think a lot about um, uh, corporations and platforms uh, 
thinking about the end from the beginning or designing with the end in mind. And I'm reminded of the phrase, you know, history belonging to the victor, to the victor belonging to the spoils. And so all of this data that we are capturing and accumulating and storing, the cloud, is, although it sounds it is not infinite and it uses energy, it produces heat and it's bad for the climate and other concerns that we have at the moment. So there have to be decisions made about all of this data that's being generated and stored. How do we decide what is useful and valuable and important to keep, what is culled, what is retained, what is jettisoned. And I think this is pretty important for the sort of uh, shaping of, of the future, but also the future's appreciation of what's gone before and, you know, being able to um, understand uh, generations that have gone before. So, yeah, designing for the end from the beginning feels very important. You talk about designing for the end. Obviously, you, you've looked a lot at the digital mm. afterlife yes. and in your book, All the Ghosts in the Machine talk a lot about what happens with personal data mm. after we pass away. So from that perspective, where should we be concentrating our efforts, policymakers, practitioners, in order to guarantee that our collective well-being as a society that lives with the traces of people who have passed away can accommodate these traces in a way that is not upsetting or doesn't become too corporate? Well, at the moment, what's happening is that large, powerful platforms um, like Facebook are making very top-down decisions that they are imposing on the uh, you know, what happens to data when you die, what should happen to it, who should have access to it. So this is a decision made by only a handful of people about what should be applicable and right for you know, two billion people. But this is a kind of a fundamental problem in a centralized sort of web where people don't really retain ownership over their and control over their personal data. And so I think that where we do need to move to is a more decentralized situation where people do maintain that ownership and control as a, as a human right, as a, you know, because your data being your data and you having the full range of decisions and informed decisions about what needs to happen to that data. But a lot of the problems are down to the fact that because uh, platforms and apps and are created, services are created without a clear picture or a plan for what happens when the users of those services die, um, then it's just kind of a left open and there's a bad experience with people left behind who are trying to close down an estate or find out information because nobody knows what the rules are. Well, so we need more specialized experts who sit at the juncture of so many different things, you know, yes, like probate law, but also, you know, intellectual property law and contract law and, you know, data privacy law, so that you have these multidisciplinary people that can help us guide policymakers and lawmakers through this. Because law is so sluggish when it comes to technology, technology is sort of sprinting out ahead of it, and I feel like there's a real catch-up game that needs to happen. Thank you so much, Elaine and Manish, for taking time out of the conference to take part in today's podcast. Uh, you can find out more about our digital inclusion project at pumbrenandlodge.ac.uk. Have a look at the read, watch, listen section for our conference briefing, blogs, session recordings and much more. We're currently exploring digital inclusion as part of our 2019-2020 inclusion and opportunity series of programs here at Cumberland Lodge. And we'll be launching a Cumberland Lodge report on digital inclusion bridging divides in spring 2020 with recommendations for enabling positive change. So watch out for more on that in the new year. Thank you again, Elaine and Manish, and thank you for listening.